here with the creator of Period, Four Season, One Cycle, Carla Anita Mazziato. We're super excited to have you here with us. Um, so this is a one-woman show? Yes, it is. It uh, does play sometimes with musicians, live musicians, yeah. but this time around it's just me. Just you? Mm-hmm. Lovely. So you're, you're showcasing the experience of menstruation and all of its joys and trials, tribulations that come with it. We're super excited to have you in the studio with us. Now, Period is the name of the show. Period has sold out since February 2022. Yeah, 2022. Yeah, it started at the Adelaide Fringe and it's done a national tour since then. Uh, This weekend uh, is the last, I think, public season of period and then it mainly does a schools tour. A schools tour, yeah I thought that was really exciting to give like puberty and sex education Mm -hmm. to how old like seven? Well it depends so there's a PG version of the show where I take out the swearing, I take out the period (laughs) sex song and the period (laughs) sex bit Um, even though actually funnily enough some schools still request that yeah. section for their seniors. So it can go anywhere from middle school, obviously, upwards. Okay, lovely, lovely. Now, something that I really loved is that it is a show that gives back. One dollar of every ticket sold is donated to a Bleeders in Need charity, mm-hmm. which is, for those who don't know, a charity that does support period poverty, something very, very like near and dear to my heart, something that I think isn't spoken about enough. Can Have you had any sort of relations with any of the charities? So um, the reason, first of all, I'll go to why I included period poverty in the show itself is uh, twofold. As a teacher, I was seeing a lot of young people with periods in different socioeconomic areas and schools experiencing period poverty. And because I was the performing arts teacher. You have a different relationship with your students. So they seem to be a bit more comfortable coming to ask for help or can you come with me to the front office to get some pads, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So that was where I started going, okay, how is it that in men's toilets, for example, we have condom machines And I've heard that there's some um, pheromone wipe dispensers as well in men's toilets. Yeah, yeah. Yes, in men's toilets. And I feel like it's my fault. No, it's not (laughs) your fault at all. But I didn't know this existed until I went through the script with my director, Vince Fusco, and he goes, did you know that that's also over? I was like, but... We don't have period products in toilets anymore. In the 80s, 90s, they kind of did, but then they went away and now we don't have them. And I was like, what? And then, so that's where I started really thinking about, okay, so if these things are available, one, for sex, two, to attract people to have sex, but a bodily function as periods, you don't, have access to, just in case something happens, you don't have access to that. And I thought that was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Um, And then there's been times in my life where I've had to choose between do I put, do I get some groceries 
or do I get like there's been times where I've really ha- had to choose. Yeah. And that's a form of period poverty, not to the extremes as what many people experience who are experiencing period poverty. But nobody talk like you said, no one talks about yeah, it. Yeah, no one talks about nobody it. Nobody talks and about it. At certain supermarkets there are like uh not not bins but like boxes where you can mm-hmm. donate yes. um pads after you've done your shopping if you have a spare five dollars. Mm-hmm. You can donate, which I think definitely needs to be spoken about more because that at the front of a supermarket is very accessible for people who have, you know, the money to spare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They can easily donate. So I think that Share the Dignity, who is alongside my show and will be, is at every show that I do. So a volunteer and or a box is there so audiences can physically bring products and drop them off yeah. into the collections containers or pass them on to the volunteers. Great, great. That's mm. so exciting and yeah, so it's good. special. It's good. <laughs> yes, very it's good. good. Very good. I, lo- I love that part of the – like when I decided to do that, I got really excited about the show's not just going to entertain people. It's going to be physically, actively giving back. So – that's for me. That's exciting. It's very <laughs> exciting. Very exciting. Now, how important was it? Oh, sorry, we just repeated that. How did your experience learning about periods influence the show? <laughs> Great <laughs> this question. Is, this is something I'm really excited to hear because no one goes and makes a period show without having somewhat of an interesting experience yeah. <laughs> regarding their menstruation experience. Absolutely. So Catholicism really <laughs> uh, shaped my um, experience with periods and my mum definitely has a lot to do with that too. It's interesting though, and I talk about this in the show, obviously through yarns I talk about it, but my mum... Was fucking shit. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. My mother was fucking shit when it came to periods, right? So she didn't want to talk to me about it. I didn't even know what a period was. Like when I first got my period, I thought I was dying. Like I was like, sorry, but what's happening to my, what, what, what's going on? I didn't know what was going on. Like I'd heard kind of. Through, like, friends, older sisters yeah. or older cousins. But it wasn't even – even my older cousins. Yeah, my older cousins didn't really speak about it either. So um, being Italian, Catholicism was definitely strong in the family and it just wasn't talked about. The whole reproductive system was like a – Taboo. Yeah. Mystery and only to find out when you get married, all that bullshit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and my, yeah, go ahead. You were 10 when you got your first period? Uh, 11. 11. 11, so that was year six, year six. Yeah, so still young to be, mm. like, comprehending, like, bleeding. when And you go having to the, that responsibility. Yeah, for yourself because it is something that is, like, a hygiene, it's important to be hygienic, and it could be hard for, like, younger children, not children, younger girls, mm-hmm. younger people who've gotten their period at a younger age mm-hmm. to maintain yeah, definitely. I think because I don't know if it was just my nature as a kid, but I've always been very organised and everything has to be like 
things have to be this way and punctual and I like having lists and plans and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was in my nature to be like, okay, this is something I have to add to my to-do list. Yeah. So, but I can imagine that there are young people with periods that really struggle with the logistics of it all because it is confronting as a young person to go, okay, I've got to put this on my undies or now we've got um, period undies, which are great. (laughs) Uh, So that would, I guess, make the transition a bit easier for young ones, the period undies, just popping those on. Yeah. And I talk about in the show how confronting tampons were and... Again, the link to Catholicism yeah. and how that was just you can't use them because that means you had sex, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I can just imagine what for a lot of people, especially the ones that get it young, how yeah. confronting that would be. And you speak about, like, the organisational aspect of having mm. a period. I remember I got probably my third or second period. Mm-hmm. I had it just before I went on my year seven school camp. And for anyone who's listening, year seven is like the first year of high school. And I got it and it was just like so difficult for me to work out. I have to take like pads with Mm me mm -hmm. wherever I'm going. And then if I need a pad and I don't have it on me, I have to get up and go to my bag and then ask to go to the toilet. And it's like that was just a bit... A bit nerve-wracking for my 12-year-old self with a bunch Mm -hmm. of other girls who I've never met and... Yeah, the whole having to have a bag with you at all times and or having to go to your bag to get a period product and then all of us have done it, hidden it up our sleeves or in a pocket or whatever, hoping nobody would see it. I purposely now, um, if I don't have... If Like, I'm caught unawares, I don't have period undies or whatever. I purposely, if I need to get it out of my bag to go to a toilet instead of taking my bag with me, I'll purposely make, like, I'm not going to hide it anywhere. I don't hide it anymore. Yeah. And people look at me weird still. I think, I think, (laughs) what type of people? Like, not what type, but, like, who's the demographic? Oh, everybody. Everybody. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, there's always a couple of people that'll be looking at me like, is she... Just is she holding a pad? The with a pad? Like what? <laughs> what is happening? What's happening? Especially in the workplace and actually anywhere, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Talking about like having a period at maybe a younger age. Mm-hmm. What was some of your favorite, or what was your favorite piece of misinformation that you heard regarding periods? Ooh. Like the funniest, like the craziest. Because I personally heard a lot. I. What did you hear? I heard that exactly three months after you first get discharged, you'll get your period. The oh. first time you get discharged, three months later, you'll get your period. What? I never yeah. heard that. Yeah. yeah. I read it in like a puberty book that my parents bought me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got a puberty book <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I read it and then I got discharged for the first time. And you were like, oh, And I was shit. like, I've got to prepare. I've got to prepare. I made my mum go out and buy me pads, like everything. There wasn't oh, wow. period undies at the time. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was only about eight years ago, so we've come a fair way. Yeah, yeah. But I remember getting her pads, her getting me pads, mm-hmm. tampons, everything. Mm-hmm. And it came, like, a year and a half later. Oh, blossom. <laughs> so you were like, yeah, I've got my pack. I'm I wrote, ready to go. Oh, okay. I'll yeah. just wait a year and a half. No worries. Yeah. I, and it's like there's no way 
to know when you got like mm. you, it just happens it just happens mm. and we were all so, I remember all my friends and I were so excited it to get our first period and <laughs> it was at the topic of lunchtime yeah and we all came from fairly I guess like open families that right. spoke about these things mm-hmm. so it was kind of like a big like a big pit of misinformation of just like everything that anything that was happening anything that we heard anything our mum's experience was being told our grandma's experience was being oh told God, everything that's so helpful. Yeah. yeah everything that was being told and it was just like so much fun it's fun to look back on it was very anxiety provoking at the time yeah, yeah yeah of course yeah, anxiety is involved a lot, I think, in those early years because your body is still adjusting to that newfound responsibility and adjusting to, oh, shit, at, at any moment I could get my period because your period actually for the first 10 years when it starts is not supposed to be super regular because your body is getting used to the new cycle of hormones. Wow, okay. Just like when people are going through perimenopause for the last 10 years of their period life, it does the irregularity again. Very interesting. And I know for myself personally, um, if I'm super stressed, if I'm not eating properly, all that kind of stuff, my body will tell me by not giving me my period, like... Our period is a monthly report card, so yeah. it gives you an indication as to what's going on. And I think we're our bodies. so lucky to be able to like have this sort of monthly report card, as you put mm-hmm. it. Because I remember growing up, people would say like having a period like such such a burden, such an annoying experience, mm-hmm. such a like just will ruin your life for a whole week. And now it's like <laughs> well, it's, it does kind of it does kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good indicator of where you're at health-wise. And mm. I think, you know, if you have a period, it's a great way to just sort of check where you're with at. your body. Yeah. I think uh, I wish I had that um, language younger. I wish I had that language younger. And I think that has a lot to do with education and how we're educated about periods, how our family structure is. Like, it sounds like your family was a lot more open than my family. I think having a open, non-judgmental sorry, dialogue allows for healthy body development. Oh, for sure. Mm. For sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. My mum comes from an Italian background mm-hmm. and she said her experience with period was seems a bit similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And then so mm-hmm. she was the complete opposite with me. Great. My dad gave me the period talk. You yeah, see, my dad was great. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was excellent. My mum, shit. Dad was great. Yeah, talk, talk to us about, like, how your dad explained it to you. Because he was just very, like... Very nurturing, very supportive. Dad would be like, Bella, do you want me to go get you some pads? Dad was great. I think because they don't know what it's like and they just, like dads, they don't know what it's like. So they can only assume that it's the worst experience that a person can ever go through. So that's why they have that extra nurturing. Well, if your dad's an empath and yeah, yeah, kind, no. some some dads, I don't think... But I know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't think all dads would come at that with the same loving angle as yes. you've just described yes. and what we've experienced. Uh, but, yeah, Dad, it was interesting, though. You would assume Mum would have it sorted and Dad would be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. But I had the opposite. Dad was very happy to talk about periods, no problem. 
like there's even a story in the show where I talk about an interaction between my brother, myself and my dad and how my dad had to explain to my brother why we weren't going to the local pool because I had my period so we weren't going to do that that day. Yeah. And dad was super chill. He was like, oh, no big deal. And I was like sweating. I was so <laughs> embarrassed because it was early years of having my period. But it's interesting how gender dynamics in families really play interesting roles within those kind of discussions. Yeah. How has that sort of dialogue, like the dialogue mm-hmm. between parents, been perceived by the audience when you're performing at schools? Do you think they are understanding? I think because... They, do they relate? Do you think that the kids relate to it? or I think because in schools, no matter what the socioeconomic... Um, district is of that particular school, you're going to get an array of family setups. You're going to get the generic nuclear family. You're going to get um, broken families. You're going to get same-sex family. It's it's just a big free-for-all these days. So I get a mixture of kids saying to me things like, oh, my mum's like that, no, no, no. Oh, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My mum's the opposite. <laughs> like, you get, you just get everything. Yeah. You get everything. Lovely. Mm. That's good because it just shows how, like, everyone mm. – and it's good that everyone can speak openly about it. Absolutely. Now, what do you hope that people coming to watch your show, whether it's in a school setting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or they've just come on their own free will, they've seen, wow, period show, never <laughs> – <laughs> Never, never heard anything like this. What do you yeah. hope that they come, they get, they get out of by coming to and supporting your show? First and foremost, the first reason I decided to write this show was because of the stigma around the topic, and I wanted it to be a part of the change in narrative. Because if we have more people talking about it, then the taboo and stigma of it all will dissipate. Yeah. So course. first and foremost, I want people to go, oh, talking about periods isn't that bad. It can be funny and, like, there's so many things that we can talk about and find out about it. I want people to also take away uh, being curious about their own bodies and uh, non-bleeders being curious about how the cycle actually works because it doesn't just benefit understanding our own bodies. You know, everybody's going to interact with a beautiful bloody bleeder on a daily basis. <laughs> if you're a bleeder or not, everybody's going to. So having some sort of, like we were talking before, about being an empath, having some sort of understanding on how the people that you interact with are going through or what their bodies are going through, it makes life... A lot kinder, I think. Patient, more patient. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the tabooness, having uh, empathy and understanding. Uh, what else do I want people to, I just want people also to have a good time. Yeah. So I think there's yeah. so much, like, rhetoric and message and moral to it, to yeah, the show, yeah. but at the end of the day, just have people have a good time, have a yeah. laugh. Yeah, have a laugh. And obviously... Uh, there are still, like we were talking about before, period poverty still isn't talk- spoken about, sorry. So I also want people to, you know, take away some new knowledge, new information and do some of their own research as well to find mm. out more about what is period poverty as well because there's so many people, it's over 800 million people are experiencing period poverty. Worldwide? Yes. Wow. So, and that numbers would be growing, obviously. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, they're probably the three main things. Taking yeah. away new knowledge, enjoying the show, and the stigma, taking away the stigma. Of okay, periods. great, yeah. great. Yeah, now, look, I want to know a little bit more about kind of the development of your show. Because, uh-huh. you know, you're performing it for us, yes. and we can't wait to see it tonight, but also at schools. Yes. Did schools come first, or did the general public kind general of... Public general public public first. first. Mm. And so how did you end up bringing it to schools? How did that come about? From people seeing the show in public. So there were either teachers or um, principals or deputy principals and or people that work in the sexual education world that would come and see the show and go, can we talk to you about bringing it to this school or can we talk to you about doing a rural schools tour or whatever it was. So it came from the public first and people who saw it and then it went into schools. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I guess with with schools, you were we were talking in a off air about it mm-hmm. as part of a drama kind of curriculum, but also sex ed. Now, you've established quite clearly that your mum was was shit. Yes. But <laughs> what was sex ed like for you in in school? So it's interesting because I went to a public primary school and Catholic high school, so sex education mm. definitely did vary. <laughs> um, it was interesting because it was more open in public primary school than it was in Catholic high school. In Catholic high school, it was about concentrating on abstaining from sex. I don't even remember a period talk in high school. I don't remember a single period talk in high school. The only close to period conversation within the education system in the 80s and 90s, yep, showing my age, but yes, um, was the putting a tampon in a glass of water and showing everybody how big it it expands. And I remember looking at that glass as a year five, I think, and going, oh, my God, my vagina isn't big enough for that expansion. (laughs) Like, that freaked me out. That wasn't helpful. Um, I think there was maybe a general comment of once a month you will bleed for five to ten days. I think that would have been the extent. I cannot remember... Uh, but I do remember very much the strong focus of abstaining from sex in Catholic mm. sex ed. But look, uh, not much has changed in a lot of school settings from what I'm seeing. Um, there's still a big lack of period conversation. Mm. Like really a big lack. And there's still nobody, from my knowledge, because I was also a teacher, there's still nobody showing kids how to use period products. Yeah, I guess there's, there hasn't been a lot of change within schools, mm-hmm. but we're seeing very recently outside of schools mm-hmm. uh, around, you know, sexual education, a lot of tension and not the kind of tension we like here on the Naughty Road <laughs> Show. <laughs> um, you know, we've had Yumi Stein's book, Wealth of Sex, withdrawn from a lot of retailers. You've been following that. I guess what's your reaction to that kind of that tension that we're seeing? Well, it's interesting because it doesn't surprise me, which is really disappointing Regularly, I will get people jumping on my social media and having a go at me about my show. I will have people in uh, my circles be like vocally very clear that what I'm doing is too confronting, really offensive, and nobody wants to hear about it. Um, Oh, it's and because of what I've experienced and the backlash I experience. But then I also experienced the big, dramatic, beautiful, 
opposites where I get invited to be part of period poverty art exhibitions or whatever that I wouldn't have thought would have come about. But unfortunately, with that sex ed book, which I really want to get, mind you, um, I'm not surprised, but it's just boring. Like, really? Really? We're still there. Like, it's just (sighs) exhausting. And what's very interesting is, you know, you talk about online harassment and I Mm. think immediately in the room, we have an idea. If you were to, like, picture in your head, like, online troll going Mm. after a period show, we can Mm. kind of think about who that looks like. But you were telling me that we've managed to break the glass ceiling of online harassment. Uh-huh. It's a lot of it's a lot of women. Yeah, so it's interesting. I I have experienced online and at my shows as well. Um, obviously the ones that would first come to mind would be cis men having a real issue with it, right? Okay, so we've established that. However, I have some women drop into my DMs or women at shows of maybe the the late 50s, 60s plus bracket that have literally engaged in an argument with me about, like, doing a show about periods. Uh, there was one time at Adelaide Fringe during that season in 2022 where for maybe one scene this woman just wouldn't stop going, oh, that can't be true. That's not true. Where did you get that from? What's that statistic from? Oh, nah, your mum wouldn't have been that. Like, just <laughs> fight me. The whole, Like, that whole segment. And you, as a performer, you have to work out, how can I deal with this without losing my whole audience? So I just said, we can have a chat after the show if you like, but I'm sure everybody else would like to just sit and enjoy the show. And people gave me a round of applause for that because... I, I mean, that's a, that's a big teacher moment right there. I can oh, see mate. how you've adapted this to school. Oh, mamma mia. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I have to put my teacher hat on, like, I, off the to- this topic in particular, but in shows in general. In 2020, when I did um, the Adelaide Fringe for my ca- show, The Catchelorette, I was doing it in a tunnel and there wasn't um, security guards on either end of the underground tunnel, uh, making sure people wouldn't come in and out. And these two, it was back when Adelaide Garner had um, the Clipsal 500 or whatever. Now you guys have got it, I think. The Grand Prix. No, no, no. It was the Clipsal. It was a, it's a, some car race thing. Anyway, so it's on the same time as Fringe and Wome Adelaide and all that kind of stuff. So there were two really drunk guys that were going in and out of the tunnels and literally walked into my performance space where I was performing and started just talking to me in the middle of my show. And then they'd go away and then they came back. At the third time, I had to put my teacher hat on and go, boys, it's time to leave. There are the stairs, off you go. Like, oh, my, yeah. So sometimes I really have to go into teacher mode, Lachlan, and really tell audience member, cut it out. Yeah. Yeah, I guess dealing with all that harassment, mm-hmm. right, and the and the, the conflict, mm-hmm. right, on in-person, on social media. Yeah. But then also seeing the impact that you've had with period poverty and in schools with those kids. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? Absolutely. What you're doing? Yeah? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And I've realised that in particular when women are coming at me about it and when I had an experience where I did a comedy lineup touring interstate and the MC would literally introduce me 
as this next set is disgusting, it's dirty, it's gross, and it was a female lineup and it was a female MC. And having to walk on and win the audience back when the MC had already pinned them against me, one, so unprofessional, but two, because I worked out that I can win the audience back even though I was introduced in that manner and the positive impact from the show and the people that talked to me about how it's open dialogue between mother and daughter or father and daughter and how um, all the donations that have happened from the show and how that's impacted people and people like on social media will tell me about how it's made them feel. Absolutely. A thousand times over, I would do it irrespective of the internalised misogyny some women can have and um, the obvious, you know, misogyny from the other side of the fence too. But I do not regret doing this show for one millisecond. Sometimes I do find myself going, oh, shit, why am I um, putting myself in a position to be attacked? But then I remind myself of all the positive things. And if art isn't challenging somebody, then you're not doing your job. Okay, so rising to the challenge, Mm -hmm. what would you like to see change about the discourse, how we talk about periods Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I guess how we're educating the next generation? I think we need to have the conversation earlier. I think it needs to be a part of the general vernacular and it needs to be just a normal conversation. I'm hearing that... uh, Eastern societies do it really well and they support people with periods during that time of the month. It's what I'm understanding now through my research and the people that I talk to and all that, Western society has the big problem with it. And um, I would love to see period products accessible in toilets and free because we don't choose our periods, right? It's not choice. So there's so many things that I'd like to see change, but from the get-go, it would be great for periods to be a conversation as part of just what our body does. When you're little kids, you get told what different body parts are, right? It should be part of that and, you know, age-appropriate because kids don't understand certain things, but as age-appropriate as you can be, but it's all just part of your body. It's part of your body. So conversation is where it needs to start first, I think. Mm. Now, last question, to wrap Mm. it up. You're here because of your show performing tonight. Yes. We're going to see it. But for the people maybe who haven't got a ticket yet, I don't know know what they're doing. Look, maybe it's COVID. I know that lack of taste is a symptom. Yes. What's your elevator pitch? My elevator pitch? Sure. Period Four Seasons One Cycle is a cabaret comedy from first periods to present day and all the seasons in between. Expect a live blow-up doll, expect some period blood and period products and a lot of laughter and nostalgia too.